back from Greece, Donna said, oh, or somebody said to me, I think it was, maybe it was Steph, said, oh, you look so skinny. I'm like, I'm wearing a black t-shirt. That's about it. <laughs> I don't think I lost any weight. I may have gained weight, actually. But um, yeah, I want to apologize to anybody, uh, to everybody, really. Today is going to be a long sermon, so sit down, buckle up. If you need coffee or you need some of those danishes, do that. I hope I can keep your attention for, for this time. Uh, but there's been a lot of things mulling around in my heart that I really have wanted to share, and I've been thinking about this sermon for a few weeks now. And, uh, and I should say, not to you guys, but to anybody that's listening to this uh, in the weeks to come, uh, if they weren't able to be here, they would have to uh, click the links in the text to watch the videos. And that's for you guys, too. If you want to rewatch the videos that we're going to watch today, you can just go to the text on the web website and download the text, and you can click on the, the links. Um, because people at home will not be able to hear them in the recording. It's kind of a pain. Our system doesn't do that. So if, if somebody listens to it and there's this long silence that the recording didn't go away, it's just that you can't hear the, hear the video. So that's kind of a pain. Um, on the island of Mykonos, uh, if you go back to that first picture, yeah, uh, in Greece where we were, we, we stayed there one night. There are uh, 800 chapels and churches, 800. Now, that may not sound to, to, you know, a lot to you, but realize that the island is very small, and 800 chapels or churches is one per family that live on that island. That's a lot of churches and chapels, but most of them are just, they're just almost all just empty and, uh, you know, gathering dust, you know. And there are, if we were looking out of our hotel and you can't tell from this picture, but there were over 30 churches just in that little window of that picture. It was just crazy. You just sat there and I counted them all, you know. And, um, but know that less than 3% of Greeks actually attend church. And Mykonos, as we know, is a playground where pleasure is worshipped uh, in all its forms. So um, it's a very godless society in a sense, right? Uh, and my question to you today is, is this where America is heading? Think about that question. Ancient shrines, empty churches, right? Silent buildings, buildings that have nothing to do with the actual gospel anymore, only there to assuage the fears of a very few uh, percentage of the population that, you know, still hold on to the last vestiges of faith. So today, I, I wanted to give you guys a State of the Union address, so to speak, as we all know, the past few years have been difficult for churches and their leadership, right? 2019 uh, was the culmination of a worldview clash and a subsequent deconstruction of faith that was very strong. This deconstruction is a move away from the inerrancy and the infallibility of the scriptures, opening the door for contrary ideologies or theologies, better word really, which continues on till today, right? Uh, it's a, it was a destructive juggernaut that very few saw coming. Dennis Prager believes as secularism increases, it comes at the cost of freedom. That America was founded on the belief that freedom is an inalienable right given to us or originating from God, right? And people don't think that way anymore. The founders weren't all Christians, well, I'm not saying that, but they believed in the God of the Bible, they did. Scripture was central to their thinking as they developed this country. And by the way, this isn't some nationalistic talk either. They weren't deists, as many people think. 
A deist believes that the creator creates something and then has nothing to do with it uh, after the creation uh, occurs. And that's not the way they believe. The founders believed that God was interactive in creation after he created it. John Adams, our second president, knew Hebrew thoroughly. Uh, Up until 1800, you couldn't graduate from Harvard without knowing Hebrew. So that is how important Bible study was in our society. But that has been on a slow decline over the last few centuries. And now we see that once Christian institutions have long since been compromised and are no longer about the gospel at all. And in excising the biblical God from societal life, freedom is lost. I agree with Dennis Prager. Since if God grants freedom, no one can take it away. That is the internal belief, right? But if mankind grants freedom, anyone in power can take it away. And that is what Francis Schaeffer would call nature eating up grace. We put nature more uh, in in front of grace, and it just eats it up, right? And this damage has been wrought by liberal scholarship, uh, sort of liberal progressive scholarship for the past 200 years, deconstructing the scriptures to develop a non-offensive civic religion, to make people just good citizens, right? And this is what's been happening to all of us, right? And that had that that non-civic or that civic, uh, you know, uh, non-offensive religion has a very low view of Jesus, right? It downplays our fallenness. It, it thinks that we are actually basically good when, we are, when the scriptures tell us we're not. And it focuses on moralism instead of salvation. So many people in our churches don't even know the gospel anymore. Jesus becomes a social model of a good person only and not Lord and Savior as the scriptures teach. So as a result of that, morality and justice are increasingly defined by society and not the Bible, right? The Bible simply becomes a myth, just a story with some good things thrown in it, and it's no longer the standard by which we judge all of our reality. We, it, it is off to the side. It's not central to us anymore. And the problem is that without God, there is no morality, Right? Or morality becomes whatever you want it to be. I wanted to show you this video to, that I think describes this reality really well. Go ahead, Todd, if you can. Can you be good without God? Let's find out. Absolutely astounding. There you have it. Undeniable proof that you can be good without believing in God. But wait, the question isn't, can you be good without believing in God? And duties do exist. Therefore, God exists. Atheism fails to provide a foundation for the moral reality every one of us experiences every day. In fact, the existence of objective morality points us directly to the existence of God. Amen. Makes sense to me. George Barna, I've I've used this a couple weeks ago, states that uh, out of all pastors in America right now, one in three or 37% of pastors have a biblical worldview. Now, the remaining 63% simply embrace syncretism, which is the blending of ideas and applications from a variety of holistic worldviews into a unique but inconsistent 
combination that represents their personal preferences. Now, I want you to notice as you look at that chart that that 37% is made up of all the five categories below it. And so the teaching pastors, the people in the pulpit like myself that preach every Sunday, out of them, only 13% have a biblical worldview anymore. That was not always the case. In my, in my childhood, that was very different. But it's been changing very quickly, and we are seeing the results of that. This has been sort of like a quiet undercurrent that has welled up to a sort of a raging river running through the church, undermining its foundation, and then flowing out to society. Because, and let me say this really clearly, so goes the church, so goes the neighborhood. Let me say that twice. So goes the church, so goes the neighborhood, right? Resulting in a sort of a breakdown of society that we are witnessing right now since the church is the salt and light for society. It's preservative and its guide. And that is very true. Um, but be encouraged. The pillars of faith run deep into bedrock. They cannot be washed away by the simple twisting of truth by certain peoples. And let me say that theology is what we believe about God and out of which we live and act. That deserves a second reading. Theology is what we believe about God and out of which we live and act. It is very, very important. A lot of people say theology is not important. It is the central, most important thing in your Christian life. Our theology carries with it either right or wrong assumptions which lead to either right or wrong conclusions. Our theology carries with it either right or wrong assumptions which lead to either right or wrong conclusions. Even atheism is what a person believes to be true of God. It's their theology, and it guides all of their decisions and thoughts concerning life. Theology is foundational. Since our actions are born out of our worldview where our theology seats itself and overflows into our behavior or overflows into our beliefs, our values, and then pools into our behavior, how we live our lives. Theology, firstly, is general in nature. If you've studied theology at all, you would know this. It's general in nature. What we see, the design of the universe all around us, observable nature, God revealed in creation. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. So when I was in Greece and I watched beautiful sunsets and I could see mountain, mountain ranges and just all the, you know, snorkeling and seeing all the fish, I am reminded of God and I'm without excuse that there is something behind all of this, right? Now take a look at this video and I think this one shows how incredibly precise is the design behind all creation and it's undeniable. Just 
just how crazy big and complex is the mind of God, if you think about that. And how we don't really regard that too much, right? We do God and ourselves a disservice when we place secular theories before Scripture, before His Word. Let me say that twice. We do God and ourselves a disservice when we place secular theories before His Word. Our theology often deviates here drastically. For instance, the creation account is written as history. It is, it is not allegory. It is not myth, right? It never claims to be a science book, although we can find some scientific answers in it. It's a recount of creation. It's a recount of the fall. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a recount of the beginning of God's sort of pursuit of humanity, right? And if we begin with the Scriptures, science and faith can walk hand in hand. Scientists used to do this. Some still do, thankfully. But science and faith are not mutually exclusive. I can't stand that question. Do you believe in science? Like I'm some idiot? I, of course I believe in a process of observing nature in the world. Of course. It's just a stupid question. Science is not a, a faith. You know, it, it, it's just a, it's a process. That's all it is. But due to the, the biblical de- deconstruction in the past 200 years, we have secular scientific groupthink out there centering on false theologies or false theories, pushing out any competing ideas which might be from a Christian perspective and which has vastly infiltrated the church. Charles Lyell, a lawyer, said in the 1800s that his goal was to free science from Moses. In other words, free science from under the scriptures, because that's where it was at the time, right? And they've tried very hard to do this ever since. But it is becoming increasingly hard for secular atheistic scientists to do this with every new discovery, because it just all points back to creation, to a God of creation. For instance, secular scientists are embarrassed and perplexed that they have absolutely no indication in the fossil records of a change of kind, which is desperately needed to prove evolutionary theory. Felines are a kind, you know, apes are a kind, that kind of thing. There is no change of kind in nature. We see adaptations in nature, of course, we all do, right? But not a change of kind which evolutionary theory demands. Something becoming something else, a frog becoming a bird, you know, that kind of thing. There's no sign of it in nature currently or in the past, If there were, we would have found it by now because we have dug up thousands and thousands and thousands of fossils. In reference to the search for the missing link, fossil records have been fabricated. They've been made up from bones collected from different levels of earth, from miles apart and put together. Or whole skeletons have been sort of fabricated based on on a couple of bones that are the size of a grain of rice and then they are assigned human traits. But you don't know this because you read Newsweek and Time Magazine and they tell you differently. Piltdown Man uh, was one of the first evidences, or I think the first evidence that they said claimed, they claimed him to be the missing link. And he was promoted to be so for over 40 years, taught in our schools and our books, our textbooks and everything else. Until 
they found out that the piece of skull was actually from a human being and that the partial jawbone that they had was from an orangutan and the teeth had been filed down to look human and both pieces had been dyed to look similar. It was a hoax. And a whole generation was taught that in textbooks. And probably, they probably don't know it's a hoax because that's all they read and they never read the corrections. Even Lucy, everybody knows Lucy, right? The most recent and famous was recast in plaster and then the hip, the partial hip bone that they had was cut apart and reshaped to look human because they needed her to walk upright. But she didn't, right? It originally was an ape's hip. Most secular scientists now believe that she was simply an ape. But we made a movie about Lucy, right? Starring Scarlett Johansson, where Scarlett Johansson replaces uh, Eve as the first woman. Or no, Lucy replaces Eve as the first woman. And humanity is worshipped as the pinnacle of all things. There's even a picture, a, a, a scene in there where they have Lucy the ape and Lucy uh, Scarlett Johansson touching fingers like in the, Ma- the Michelangelo painting. Truth is, Lucy is no lady. But you and all your kids are being taught that in school. Right? In every single instance, nothing points to a change from ape to human. And with every instance that Time Magazine puts out an issue claiming that we've found the missing link, they don't reprint another whole issue as a retraction when they found out it's disproven or it was a hoax. And whole generations end up believing a lie. Understand. Understand this. This is a theologically driven worldview. It is a theologically driven worldview from an atheistic community. And when you free science from Moses, you start with wrong assumptions and you get to wrong conclusions, right? Even Charles Darwin admittedly said in 1859, geology assuredly doesn't reveal any such finely graduated organic chain and this is perhaps the the most obvious and serious objection which can be urged against the theory. Paleontologist Colin Patterson, I think it was in the 1970s or 80s, said that there is no direct illustration of evolutionary transitions, fossil or living. There are no transitional forms. There is not one such fossil. We have not found it. It's not there. And we've not found it because, because it's not there. So after 140 years of Darwin, it looks even more bleak for his theory. And scientists using their imagination in an overwhelming desire to be the one person that has finally found the missing link, or they fabricate evidence to extend grant money. You've got to understand that the human element in the scientific community is very, 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 very strong. They are just as sinful as you and I. But creation makes sense. You saw it in the video. It makes sense. Fossil records show a sudden appearance of creatures all across the globe with a sudden burial in a global flood with marine fossils covering every continent. The fossil record indicates that the earth was reformed by the waters of the biblical flood rather than millions and millions of years of slow change like you've been taught. The Grand Canyon could not have been formed by a lot of time and a little bit of water, just one little creek running through it, a little river running through it. The walls would have eroded by now. They would have been sloped. 
over millions of years. Instead, it was formed by a lot of water in a little amount of time, carving it out suddenly. And a modern example of that is Mount St. Helens, which blew in 1980. In minutes and in days, uh, right after that, whole forests were buried in 600 feet of sediment. Whole canyons were carved out in bedrock in a matter of minutes, weeks, days, whatever. Very quickly. The great unconformity is found all across the world, a line in the sediment indicating a great flood across the earth. It doesn't show any signs of erosion in the sediment below, and fossils are extremely rare below it, meaning that it happened suddenly across the globe. So the whole idea of a great amount of time is thrown out. It's thrown out. Add to this that Scientist Dr. Nathaniel Jensen, a Ph.D. in cell and de developmental biology from Harvard University, has authored uh, a book called Replacing Darwin, which I'm currently reading, and then he moved on to uh, publishing Traced, human, human DNA's Big Surprise. And he has discovered a DNA-based generation-by-generation family tree for global humanity, tracing humanity back to Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and then on to Adam, one ancestor for all of, all of the human race. It's not allegory. It's not myth. This is truth. His work is extremely complicated and very, very hard to understand at times, but it is ex extremely compelling, and he's not the only one seeing this. Even secular scientists are see seeing this. Secular bio biologists are seeing that we are all traced back to one ancestor. Is God capable of creating the earth and the heavens in six days or not? Do you believe that as a Christian? Is the earth full of his glory or not? Of course it is. From the great unconformity to the hummingbird that flies around on my front porch to the eyeballs stuck in your head. The complexity behind the design of creation is all but impossible to create by chance out of nothing. But that's what we are taught. But we've been conditioned, we've just been conditioned to think otherwise by a unified front of people that are drunk on the words of Darwin and others who have sought to divorce science from Moses. Their theology defining a worldview which begins with wrong assumptions and ends with wrong conclusions. The human element pollutes scientific conclusions. She's a pretty, pretty lady, isn't she? My wife, if you don't know. But the complex design of creation reveals a creator God. The complex design of creation reveals a creator God. It really does. Now, why do I tell you all this? Well, A.J. Mattel said, for if there was no Adam, there was no fall. And if there was no fall, there was no hell. And if there was no hell, there was no need of Jesus, a second Adam, an incarnate Savior, crucified and risen. And as a result... The whole biblical system of salvation collapses. Evolution thus becomes the most potent weapon for destroying the Christian faith. Now, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I'm not an idiot. And I'm not, I'm not intellectually weak when I challenge these things. I'm actually thinking better than somebody else that won't. 2 Peter chapter 3 talks of people denying God's creation and the biblical flood in the last days. That the whole story is important. All of Scripture is important. 
Sadly, many of us have built our faith on the faltering, faltering sand of secular theories, and now we're seeing the results of that in a consistent breakdown of a biblical worldview in Christians and in our churches across the board. Now, general revelation draws us to explore special revelation, right, as revealed in Scripture for the most part. Special revelation does include physical appearances of God, dreams, visions, uh, the written word of God, the scriptures, and most importantly, Jesus Christ. He's a special revelation to us, right? But today, I want to focus really on the primary importance of the revealing of God in his word, the Bible, a form of special revelation. God guided the authors of scripture to record his message to mankind while still using their own styles and their own personalities. And Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So true. 2 Timothy chapter 3, All scripture is God-breathed. And it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, for our calling, for evangelism, for sharing the story with other people. God determined to have the truth regarding him recorded in written form to reveal everything humanity needs to know about him and what he expects of us and what he has done for us. And Scripture is not progressive. It is not progressive. It does not change, in other words. Our response to it may change, but it it stays firm and fixed. It is the constant in life. Don't you need a constant right now? I think we all do. So we regard it as the divinely inspired Word of God revealing to us who He is and how we are to live in relationship to Him and relationship with other people. Our theology will never be perfect because we are not perfect. But the majors have been set by great saints of the past and of the present. And we all should strive to know it very well as our compass for life. It should be central and everything else should be measured against it. But due to deconstruction, divergent competing theologies have grown so incredibly prevalent that unity has been undermined in the church at large across America. They are saying right now that 1,700 pastors a month are quitting right now. We are going to see what we see in, in Mykonos in America. That's, that's the thing. There's a purging and a purification going on right now. Consensus is that this stage of the church will be long and not short as churches grow smaller. People won't attend a church any longer who haven't really had a true conversion experience. That's why things like Alpha are really important. In one sense, that's good, right? In another, it means that we have some suffering ahead of us, that we have work to do in our calling of telling all all nations about this and that there's a potential to change how we operate. Up until 2019, 6-8 was growing. But as a result of the influences that I've 
described here today, exacerbated by hot issues and debated in culture, followed by the pandemic, we have seen many people walk away, as they did on Jesus in John chapter 6, when they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? They stumbled over Jesus. They stumbled over his lordship and that he was savior of the world. They wouldn't have stumbled over just a good guy. That's very different. He is Lord, and he demands our our, uh, devotion in that way. They decided that faith in Christ and the church wasn't for them any longer, or that a church which still held to the special revelation of Scripture as the inspired Word of God was antiquated and out of touch with modern society. They sought a more accommodating faith community, open and accepting to lifestyles and ideologies that have been deemed sinful by Scripture. They begin from culture, we begin from Scripture. Their revelation emerging from sinful, faulty human hearts, ours from outside of ourselves, truth emanating from the very mouth of God. Scripture is God-breathed. They redefine God, developing a theology which denies his divinely inspired word, cherry-picking what they like and discarding the rest. They are in charge. They are God now. This theology doesn't reflect the true God of the Bible and places man at the center of all things. It breaks the very first commandment in the Ten Commandments that we just studied which always devolves, and we're seeing this across the board, into individual emotion and desire. My truth, my truth, your truth, your truth. Which is eventually unsustainable in church and in society. This is what's happening in our country and in our churches. Individual human desire and emotion now rule, not the word of God. Church and leadership have been castrated of any directive power as the result of this fragility in people. Those whom God has ordained to shepherd and to lead cannot do it any longer because people have simply chosen not to believe, not to trust, not to have faith. And if feelings rule, logic and reason are absolutely abandoned. Men can become pregnant. That's ridiculous. And no one can argue a feeling, can they? There's no objective truth. Unity and sustainability are only found in shared beliefs and values arising out of God's word, which is increasingly not the case in our churches. Your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, is not how the church operates. We unify under God's truth revealed to us. Society at large can't operate without some unity on major issues either, and we may very well see the disillusion of America as a result of all of this in our lifetime, or at least the form of America that we knew before. And I'm not saying that that was perfect before, but there was at least a standard. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is very prophetic. Verses 3 and 4 say this, For the time will come, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. That time has come. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myth. All churches experienced the dismantling through the pandemic. Some closed their doors, 
but we seem to have weathered that well over time. However, the wounds sustained cut deep, and they require much more than simple platitudes as Band-Aids. Across the board in American churches, the ability to gain momentum with simple tasks has been increasingly difficult. I talk to pastors all the time. They are, having, they are pulling their hair out. Leadership and commitment is very sparse across the board in churches. Keeping people in positions long enough to gain traction has not been possible. People are like, ah, I don't want to do it anymore, and they just quit. Sporadic attendance and difficulty in managing volunteers has taken its toll on the faithful few. Fragile emotions leading to inflammatory conflict has, has uh, eaten away at community to the point that sustainable organizational viability is called into question in many churches. But the church, the church of the big C across the globe, will not die. It has weathered worse, and God will sustain it. Some local churches will close. New ones will be born. Or they will go through a metamorphosis in how they operate. Or they'll just buckle down and weather the storm. I don't know. Now, feeling spirit-led, I feel like I have preached the gospel clearly this past year. You may or may not agree. I think I have. And spiritual attack comes as a result of that. The church in America has always thought, just preach the gospel and God will grow your church. But that is not what Jesus says to us. Not at all. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Yeah. Amen. And the, the, the truth of the matter is, we are all standing here right now questioning our devotion to Christ again, even if we've been walking with him for years, because it actually might mean now some suffering for us. And that's my job, is to lead you into that as pastor. His message draws some, and it repels others. Concerning the Apostle Paul, God said in Acts chapter 9, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. That was Paul. For far too long, churches have been devoid of a theology of suffering. We've preached all the goodies, but not the difficulties. And as a result, it's been viewed as a failure instead of signs that the gospel is actually going out. Unwilling to face suffering, Many have preached only what feels good. Excising Jesus' lordship and focusing only on him as fuzzy savior. And as a result, we have communities without commitment or the ability to persevere through basic difficulties of relationship and ministry. We've preached the gospel well here at Six Idea, I think, but the world affects us as well, doesn't it? The gospel preached and experienced through our ministry has transformed lives for over 15 years now. We've also experienced negative results from those who have rejected it as well, which shouldn't discourage us. Rather, it should tell us that we are being faithful to our calling. I'm in good company. You are in good company with people like David, King David, Saul, you know, Paul, um, you know, whoever else, Jeremiah, we are in good company. But life was not always easy for them, right? In Acts, we saw growth in the early church, but we also saw persecution, if you remember that series we went through. Adversity and transformation walk hand in hand when the gospel is actually preached. 
Past growth in many churches seems to have been due more to a watering down of the gospel instead of a clear preaching of it. A civic religion, not biblical Christianity. Church growth experts have gone silent, and I get all the, all the articles and all the podcasts. Church growth experts have just gone silent because they've been watching their work dismantled in the past two years. They have nothing to say. The American church has grown itself a mile wide and an inch deep. A mile wide and an inch deep. And when the intense rays of the cultural sun shine upon it, evaporation quickly occurs. Shallow discipleship snaps easily under the slightest of bends. Yet God always, always keeps a remnant of the faithful that are actually willing to suffer for His great name. He keeps those people. Those who stay, like Paul did in John chapter 6, as the others walked away, Jesus asked him, are you going to leave too? And Paul said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Amen. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Do we really believe that? Because you better. People taking the advice of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, which follows verses 3 and 4, which I read earlier, who gave up on the sound doctrine, if you remember. It says, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. I've got to have some space for that tattoo, right? Ours is a spiritual malady in America and in the world. It's a spiritual malady, and Jesus is the only cure, the only cure. There is no other cure. So the questions questions are, is he Lord and Savior or not? And if so, are we willing to suffer for his name? Because as I said, our devotion has been called into question again. And I think about you young guys that are going off to college or back into high school. Wow, you are up against it. You are up against it. It's hard to swim against the flow. Devotion to Jesus and devotion, therefore, to his local church in which he is embodied. Christ is embodied in this church. Is Christ's work through the local church actually the hope of the world that we preach all, that time, all this time? And if so, what are we willing to sacrifice to see it sustained? Questions of time talent, and treasure, and I would even add purpose. As we experience a purification, there is an opportunity to see depth occur and to actually further proclaim Jesus to those who need him because he has chosen to work through us, through us. So I think not me necessarily asking, but I think God is asking us uh, for a further commitment in, in those areas. First of all, our time, specifically in our time in prayer and our time in engagement with the church. Pray for wisdom and direction for our church, for leadership, for myself and other leaders in this church to be spirit-filled and focused on Christ. If we are wrong in some way, pray the Holy Spirit corrects us, right? Pray the Holy Spirit convicts in joy, leading to renewed commitment and courageous faith in people. Courageous discipleship. Come early, leave late, and say yes to church activities. I want Alpha full. 
I want our sonship community groups full because we need it. I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it any longer. You need to be there. That's why we did men and women because now moms and dads, you can go by yourself and, and your spouse can watch the kids. I'm not sugarcoating this anymore. You need this more than any other time in your life right now because you are up against it right now. Develop community with each other. Ask each other over for dinner. Go out to lunch together. Have coffee together. Get to know the other people in your church. Put aside feelings of insecurity and indifference and petty dislikes. Be mature. Don't react from emotion. Bear with one another in love. One of the best verses in Scripture. Bear with with one another in love. Keep short accounts. Don't let things fester. As I said, we're going to be holding these sonship groups for men and women, and um, I, I would just urge you to come and deepen your faith. When we do Alpha this year, start praying right now who you can invite, friends, family members, co-workers, whatever. Calm yourself. And let me just say, I know Alpha is not perfect. No tool is perfect. But we can add to it. We can speak into it. So be, get behind it and come because it's a great opportunity. And we're going to do those trainings specifically in evangelism. You need to know it. Because, you know, if I asked you personally, if we just sat down over coffee and I said, what is the gospel? I think many of us would not have an answer. We wouldn't know how to express it. We wouldn't know exactly what are the points that we need to share. Secondly, talent. In other words, volunteering. Pray for people to be responsible in stepping up to certain roles in the church. Consider where you can serve. Pray the Holy Spirit leads us to commitment in these areas. Attend and explore class and become a member so that we can utilize all your gifting. Because in that explore class, when you become a member, you say, I agree. I'm on board. Treasure. Giving. God calls us to this. 2 Corinthians 9 tells us to give willingly and with joy. To to think about what, what... what he can stretch us into. Take the time to revisit how you can give with joy to the kingdom of God because this is the most important stuff. Ask the Holy Spirit to stretch you in this area. If you need to get rid of your Netflix account, get rid of it. Do something in that area that you've never done before. And finally, our calling or our purpose as outlined in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, evangelism. Equip yourself to evangelize. Uh, One of the things that I've been doing lately is watching the Living Waters uh, videos with Ray Comfort sharing the gospel with people on the street on YouTube. I would urge you to watch many of them. Don't go home and watch one or two. Go home and watch over the next month 20 or 30 of them. They're like five-minute videos. It's easy. You know, like you're drinking your coffee in the morning. You watch a video. And, you know, Watch him and notice his demeanor, notice his kindness, notice his boldness, notice the arguments that he uses, notice the illustrations that he uses. Steal them from him. Steal them. Use them, right? Then after that, pray for opportunity and look for it and take the risk to evangelize somebody. They need the gospel, 
right? What was it? Teller said, Penn or Teller, Penn, I think it was, said, you know, I don't, tr- I don't trust Christians that won't share the gospel with me. And he's an atheist because if you think you have the key to everlasting life and you don't share it with me, you've got to hate me to, to not share it with me. That's true. And when you're doing that, ask people, can I pray for you right now? And then do it. Listening to the Holy Spirit's lead and what He's saying to them and allowing the Holy Spirit to bring power to your words. Go home and watch and promote with other people the chosen. Watch it with them if you can. Right? Use the gospel cards that we have in the back, those little bitty cards you can stick in your wallet and stick in your pocket and and use them to share with others. They have all the principles of the gospel that need to be shared in three minutes on those cards. And do it, and leave the the results to the Holy Spirit. Just be obedient to your calling. You're not responsible for their response. All you're responsible for is to share it. So here's your homework. Uh, If you're not on Breeze, if you're not in the system, you didn't get this, because it went out through Breeze, and you need to to do that. If you want me to email it to me, you're going to have to email me and ask me for it directly. But I emailed you out a packet about an hour ago while you were sitting here. And um, this morning, right? Uh, Go through that. There's a lot of different documents there that you may want to read, you may not want to read, but there are documents that are, um, you know, pertinent to our church, you know, like things like uh, a document on discipleship, uh, a document on critical race theory and our our response to that, things like that. Sexuality, there's one on there in, in in that packet. Also, though, and and even more importantly, are the resources for evangelism. I, I compiled a whole bunch of resources that you can listen to, watch, or read, and uh, books and videos and articles and things like that, and that's all in there. Uh, also, immerse yourself in the Word. Get close to Jesus, right? My wife said that to me yesterday. We were walking in Haverford College. She said, you know, as difficult as ministry is right now, the only choice you have is to walk closely with Jesus. And she is so right. And I would applaud her because she's doing that very well herself right now. Pursue the Holy Spirit. Pursue the filling of the Holy Spirit. Realize this. Realize that knowing about God without the Spirit is equally as damaging as a pursuit of the Spirit without a healthy pursuit of a strong theology. Both of those are very damaging. Let the Bible define your theology. Get close to Jesus. He wrote a book for you. Read it. Ingest it. Take it in. It's life-giving. Pray for our church and our neighborhoods, right? On your own, come to the prayer walk. Do that with us. Pray for conviction by the Spirit uh, in your, your devotion to Christ and His local church. Evaluate your giving. Stretch yourself in a new way if possible. If there's conflict in the church, repent. Be humble. Work it out in a Christ-like way. Don't cut and run. There's a limited number of churches, and they're becoming fewer and fewer still, so you're not going to have any place to go eventually. God calls us to work those things out here. Train yourself in evangelism through the resources listed in that packet. Start to pray and consider who you might invite to Alpha beginning right now. It's not too early to think about that. We've got September, October, November, December, Alpha. It's only four months, right? You... you you, you, you only have that time. And remember, this, this, uh, this fall we're going to hold some evangelism trainings. We're going to have these men's and women's sonship groups. 
We're going to have possibly a few uh, video nights where we can watch a video, maybe an hour long, 45 minutes long, and then discuss it together. And they're all very helpful. And, uh, and then we're going to do lunches. Right after church, I want to clarify that, that every second Sunday, we're going to order food from Cadoba and Snap. We're going to have it delivered during church, and we're going to hang out and eat lunch together. Uh, if you want to donate money to that cause, great. If not, don't worry about it. Just eat and have fun. And then whoever wants to go with us after that lunch can go and do a prayer walk for like a half an hour around the neighborhood. So that was a long time. I, I've never preached this long. By the way, if you're new, I never preach this long. I do get long-winded at times, but not, not this long-winded. So thank you for your patience and thank you for atten- your attention. Uh, do we want to do one last song or... We'll do one last song, and let me pray us out of this. Father, we thank you that you are a God that is so complex and so uh, incredibly beautiful and intelligent and loving, and that you pursued us even when we turned around and kicked you in the teeth, and that you wrote a book about it, and you came in the form of Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, you walked it out, lived a perfect life, died on that cross for our sin and rose from the grave, conquering the power of sin and death in our lives. We thank you for that. We thank you. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, that you would clarify to us what exactly is your gospel. Form our theology, form our thoughts about who you are and what you are from what you have said to us and how you've revealed yourself to us. And let us be faithful and good to bring that out to other people. We thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.